Jesus, we declare your name today. We declare you are the victorious one. We declare that you triumph over every work of darkness today. Jesus, we declare your name is great and greatly to be praised. So Lord, we declare your name, Jesus, over every challenge facing this people, every financial challenge, every health challenge, every relational challenge, we declare the name of Jesus. God, of every place of guilt and shame, every place of regret, Lord, we declare the name of Jesus, God. Lord, we declare it over our nation, we declare it over our city, we declare it over this church, we declare it over our community, the name of Jesus. We bless you, we honor you, we declare our hope is in you, our trust is in you, our joy is in you, our all in all, everything is in you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Lord, we say thank you that you're here. You say, you promise you never leave us, you never forsake us. Thank you, Jesus, that you hear us. You respond to us. So we can be joyful, we can be hopeful, we can be trustful today because we know you're here. We know you're working in our lives and in our families, our situations and our circumstances. We bless you, Jesus. We declare this prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen, amen. Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July weekend to you. Those of you here in the auditorium, those of you streaming, we pray that you are blessed this weekend and have lots of time for family and friends and fun uh, and rest and relaxation. So we are thankful. We're thankful that we're here together uh, to worship. Uh, this is Family Worship Day, so our uh, young folks are here with us. My friend uh, Robert is here with us this morning, and uh, as you know, uh, we've been in a series called The Names and the Nature of God. And so we've been looking at miracles in the Bible and how those miracles reveal the character of God to us. And so we've had our statement uh, that we've been reading each week about our miracles, and uh, Robert's going to lead us in that. Uh, we're going to all say it together. You can stay seated, but Robert's going to lead us, and we're going to make our statement about the character of God. So Robert, take it away. Miracles in the Bible and in daily life reveal the awesome name and nature of God. He does miracles to show us who he is and how much he cares. When we read or experience the miraculous work of God, we respond in increased faith and sincere worship. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for all of our kiddos. We're glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Uh, our senior pastor, Jimmy Seibert, wanted to be with us here this morning. He and Laura and some of our other leaders have actually been traveling in uh, Europe over the last uh, 10 days, about two weeks, uh, seeing what God is doing uh, in the nation there. And uh, he was excited and wanted to kind of share some of that with us this morning. Uh, but he woke up very, very sick. I talked to him a little bit this morning. And so uh, actually a prayers for him. He wished he could be with us. He will be back with us very shortly. Uh, but his misfortune is my opportunity. So I get to share the word of God uh, with us this morning. But let's uh, say a prayer. Uh, let's ask a blessing on our leader and ask God's healing in his body. So, Jesus, we do thank you for Jimmy, Cybert, and Laura. Thank you for their love for you, their leadership of this people uh, called Antioch, God, and we bless him today. Uh, we pray and ask you by the Spirit of God to touch him and heal him and restore him and renew him, that he can rejoin us uh, quickly. Uh, we trust that you're doing that. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So uh, as we said, we've been talking about the names and the nature of God, how God uses miracles to show us, to reveal uh, his character to us. Now, again, like you said, it's been family worship day. Our young folks are here with us, so the adults and kids alike, we get to enjoy uh, the word of God. Now, uh, family worship day reminds me of kind of our carpenter family devotions that we have for so many years. Our, our kids are all uh, grown and out of the house now. We still have one at the house, but they're all uh, in various places and spaces. But uh, family devotions, family worship times were a big part of our household. There was some great days and some great experiences we uh, got to share together. Uh, today, though, as I uh, begin our time, I feel like the Lord is leading me to share kind of one of my worst family time experiences. Um, my wife, Tanya, and I are very different. Uh, she's a go-getter, and my kids describe me at home as chill, okay? So I'm kind of calm and keep things together. But um, today I'm sharing an instance where I wasn't quite so chill, uh, I got five kids, and, and one of my kids, they just kind of know how to push my buttons. They know a little bit how to get under my skin. And so there was a couple of instances in my many years of parenting that I kind of lost it. And with one particular child, I kind of blew up and lost my temper and yelled. And, and uh, you know, it's maybe it's humorous now, but it was, it was a bad experience then. And I would describe it really as probably my poorest example of parenting. I mean, I, that was my deepest place of regret. And I felt terrible about that. I felt bad about that. And, and though I'm a preacher and I've talked about forgiveness and mercy and all those things for many, many years, I mean, years after that happened, uh, I kept thinking about that and dwelling on that and feeling bad about that and thinking, oh, my God, I've ruined my child over that. And so, so I don't know if any of you are like me, though, but how many of y'all, it's easy to remember uh, the worst thing you've ever done. <laughs> and it's just something about that. And, um, and so one day, though, I was with that particular child, and uh, I brought, brought that situation, those situations up. And their response was, oh, Daddy, I hadn't thought about that. I've never thought about that again. And for me, that was like a, oh, it was a release. It was a relief. Uh, it was a place of freedom for me that my child had had mercy on me, that they were merciful. And that's really the, the, the character of God that we want to talk about uh, this morning, the mercifulness of God. Basically, for a working definition, we're going to call mercy when someone withholds punishment for wrongdoing. Mercy is when someone withholds punishment for wrongdoing. Maybe you're here today and, and somebody has or is wagging their finger in your face over something you've done. Or, or maybe you're here today when you walk in the building, people kind of whisper. Or you get funny looks from people, but today God has a word of mercy for us. Now, of all the character traits of God, God has so many beautiful attributes. Why did we pick mercy uh, for today? Well, a couple of reasons I want to give us for that. One, it's very easy for us to recognize when other people need mercy. For example, let's just say, let's say somebody, a criminal offender, okay? They have been charged with something. They have been tried. They have been convicted. They have been sentenced to something. And so it's obvious that that's a person who needs mercy. But the reality is we all are offenders, 
Uh, Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it goes on in Romans chapter 6, say the wages of sin, the sentence that is due all of us is death. But I'm thankful to God that that passage goes on to say, but the gift of God is salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though we are all guilty, though we all have been tried for something, though we all have a sentence hanging over us, God has been merciful. He has given us salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the one reason why we need to talk about mercy. The other is this. We have an enemy, the devil, and he's always bringing up new, fresh charges against us. He's always attempting to put us on trial for some reason. He's always trying to speak and hang a sentence over our heads. Revelation 12, 10 says, the accuser of the brethren, that's talking about the devil, the accuser of the brethren, he accuses us before God day and night, the scripture says. He's always trying to accuse us of something. Therefore, we need to talk about mercy. You see, actually, for some of us, whether you're here, whether you're watching by stream, uh, like me, uh, you, you feel guilty. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you're feeling guilty. You're feeling some regret. And some of us here, you, you are guilty. You, you have offended God. You have offended his law. You have offended our brothers. Maybe some of you offended your own conscience. You're here today, but God wants to have mercy. You see, the issue is, if you're here today, whether you feel guilty or whether you are guilty, your guilt is not the issue. The issue is how we deal with how we respond to the guilt, whether it's real or perceived. Okay, let me, let me say it this way. Around the 8th or 9th century, uh, the church developed this spiritual discipline that they call penance. Anybody heard of Penance. You, you rarely hear that word. You don't hear that mentioned in church anymore. I'm thankful that we don't. But penance was man's attempt to pay God back for wrongdoing. Now, doesn't that sound uh, interesting? That we would try to pay God back our sentence, which is way too high for any of us to pay. But we tried to do that. I remember reading a story once of some, some religious leaders that uh, crawled on their hands and knees over sharp rocks and broken glass, cutting themselves. That was their way of trying to pay God for wrongdoings that they have done. That was early in our church history. Okay, now, you don't hear about anything like that anymore, and, and, and you don't even hear the word penance mentioned in churches anymore from a physical standpoint. But I brought it up for this reason. From a psychological and an emotional and a spiritual perspective, many of us live lives trying to pay penance to God. We think things like hoping our good outweighs our bad. We think that, hey, if I uh, give enough or do work hard enough or do the right thing enough, my community of people will value me. We think if we pray enough or serve enough or give enough, God will love me. That, those are actually simplistic forms of penance, trying to pay God for something. But he's saying, I don't want you to pay any penance. He speaks it this way in the Old Testament. I love these passages. Isaiah 55 says it this way, speaking to our, our attempts to pay penance. He says here, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
If you're feeling bad, if you're feeling guilty, if you're having regret, don't worry about trying to pay God back. You can't pay him back. Your sentence is too high. And anyway, he says, I came today because I want to abundantly pardon you. I'm motivated to forgive you. I'm motivated to resolve the issue for you. Isaiah 118 says it this way. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That word crimson, that's the operative word. That crimson is a dark, 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 dark red. If you got a white shirt and you get something crimson on it, you might as well get a new shirt because it's ruined. You can't get that out. But he says, my mercy, my grace is to the effect, if you got crimson stains, if you got sin so bad it can't come out, I can make it white as snow. He's motivated to be merciful to us today. So I want us to take a look at a person in the Bible who experienced the mercy of God. And we find that in Mark chapter 10, and it's a man named Bartimaeus. He was a blind man, and we want to look at how he experienced the mercy of God. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52 reads, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now we see a miracle here. This man was given his sight. But what is that trying to show us about the nature of God? What is that trying to reveal to us about God's character? One, uh, Bartimaeus had lots of limitations. He was blind. He was poor. He was a beggar. He had lots of limitations. But because of the mercy of God, our limitations are not a limit. Our limits don't create any limitations for God. Now, what I want us to do, I want to go back and look at this passage and kind of break it down and and help us practically walk out with how we experience this mercy that God wants to abundantly give us today. Okay, let's go back uh, to verse 47. It says, uh, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, okay. One thing to notice here, uh, he was blind, obviously, but he heard Jesus. And what we want to talk about a minute is hearing what we hear. I I heard a story uh, recently about a famous actor, and this famous actor played uh, a blind man in a movie. Okay, and so to get prepared for the movie, this actor literally blinded himself. He put patches over his eyes and literally went around blind for several months. 
Okay, and so one day they were sitting in a meeting, uh, this actor and the producer and the cast and all these uh, things, and, and somebody in the back room, I think, had a pencil and was tapping it or something. Nobody even heard it. But this actor who was blinded yelled out, will you quit slamming that pencil? And everybody's like, what is the, what in the world is wrong with this man? Well, what had happened is because he wasn't seeing for so long, obviously he began to hear a lot more acutely. Okay, so when one of our senses is diminished, the other senses perk up in order uh, to accommodate uh, in a sense. Okay, so uh, the point we're trying to get at is uh, how Jesus is trying to pour mercy uh, in our lives and in our situations. Okay, and so the point I'm trying to talk to is in spite of our blindness, because uh, we all can be blinded, not physically, but we can be blinded by circumstances, we can be blinded by challenges, we can be blinded by sin, we can be blinded by people around us. But in spite of our blindness, God wants us to hear him. That's what we need to know about a merciful God. A merciful God makes himself heard. A merciful God makes himself heard. He wants to make sure we hear him even if we can't see him. Okay, uh, think of it this way. He says in Romans, he says that we walk by faith and not by sight. He says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our hearing him is what's important to him. That's the way he wants to pour out mercy in our lives. Despite our circumstances, despite our mistakes, despite uh, what we might be going through, even if we can't see him because of that, he's going to ensure that we hear him, okay? We talk uh, here at Antioch a lot about us as God's people being able to hear God. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so we encourage that and we teach that, that God speaks to us through his word and God speaks through us through the body and God can speak to us through the Holy Spirit prompting us in our hearts. We can hear him, but a lot of times, because we teach that, a lot of times people say, well, I don't know if I hear God or not. I don't know if I was hearing God. What I want to say to that is the pressure is not on you to hear God. God is taking the responsibility. He is going to make sure his people hear him. So today, that's the way he's showing you his mercy. Don't put pressure on yourself about, am I hearing God right? Am I hearing from God? He's going to make sure that you hear him, because we see that in the life of Bartimaeus. Now, because Bartimaeus heard Jesus' voice, something happened, very powerful. He heard Jesus, and so therefore he ignored people. See, sometimes when we get struggling like we don't know if we're hearing God, that's because we either listening to other people or maybe we're listening to the devil. But Bartimaeus listened to Jesus, therefore he ignored people. They kept saying, hey, you be quiet. Don't bother him. They somehow determined he wasn't worthy of Jesus, but he said, I'm not going to listen to you. I need to hear from Jesus myself. Also, what can happen to us, sometimes uh, we can listen to the devil. When challenging things come our way, when we have negative circumstances, we start thinking things like God doesn't care or nobody understands or nobody loves me. That's the devil, again, trying to use his voice to blind us to Jesus, but we need to ignore him and listen to Jesus. Another reason the people, they kept telling him to be quiet, stop yelling out. Uh, in the first century, it was commonly understood that blindness 
was a curse. If you were born blind or you somehow got struck with blindness, it was the assumption you must have sinned, or maybe somebody in your family sinned. It was God's punishment for wrongdoing. I'll show this to us. Let's look at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. It says this. It's talking about Jesus in here. He's with his disciples. It says, as he passed by, he, that's referring to Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God may be displayed. And it was commonly understood, you must have done something wrong. But Jesus said, no, it's not about what you're doing wrong. It's about me looking for an opportunity to show mercy. That's what this is all about. So today, as we're trying to understand God, as we're hearing God today, he's trying to say, I'm not focused on what you did wrong. Matter of fact, he ain't focused on what you did right. He's looking for opportunities to pour out mercy into all of our lives. A merciful God makes sure that he is heard. Let's go on to verse 48 of the passage. So we're talking about a merciful God makes himself heard. Let's look and see what else he does here. It says in verse 48, many were sternly telling him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. They kept telling him, be quiet, but he kept doing it more and more and more. Okay. Now, I want to share a story kind of related to the point I'm trying to make through this, uh, how God wants to show mercy. God showed me mercy, uh, a lot of mercy in a particular instance. Uh, Many years ago, 2008, I led, I think, my first mission trip here at the church. And I led a team of people to the Dominican Republic, and it was a great trip. uh, But I needed a lot of mercy on that trip. Uh, First of all, we uh, went to a place, well, I'll say it this way, I I was kind of the leader, and we had a team administrator, so I had our team administrator get plane tickets for the whole uh, team to uh, Santiago, Dominican Republic. The problem is our mission trip was to a place called Santa Domingo, uh, Dominican Republic. And so I was like, Santa Domingo, Santiago, I mean, that's the same place, ain't it? (laughs) Well, no. There's about three hours difference between those two places. And so God was merciful, and the church host church literally drove a bus three hours to Santiago and drove us three hours to Santo Domingo. Okay, so they, they did that. Also, uh, you know, we also had to raise all our money, and uh, literally about the week of we were going to leave, we were about $5,000 short. And I was almost like literally we weren't going to get to leave. And so I was thinking, man, I must be the, the worst pastor on the team. This is going to be the first mission trip in the history of the Antioch movement to not even leave. We didn't even get out of the airport because we didn't have enough. But God was merciful. I won't have time to unpack the whole story, but he provided the monies for us to get there. But so we get there. The church comes three hours. I mean, we've got about 12 adults and about 15 or I think it was 15 or 18 kids and so we're driving three hours on a bus, and it's hot, bumpy roads. And when we finally get to Santa Domingo, and we get to the hotel, we've reserved a hotel. Uh, they've got this restaurant. They're going to feed us three meals a day. So I'm exhausted. I'm like, okay, let's just get uh, in this restaurant. Let's eat dinner. Let's get a good, nice rest, and we'll start all this over in the morning. Okay, so it's dark. It's late. It's hot. We pull in. Uh, and I'm looking for the restaurant because I'm hungry. I'm ready to eat. I know everybody else is ready to eat. 
and we pull up on something. It was about the size of our church bookstore. And I'm looking in there, and I don't, I don't see no food. I don't see no waste. I don't see nothing. I, all I see is a few. It looked like some comic books and some candy bars. And I'm like, is this the restaurant? And um, we paid them. We've given them all our money. They're supposed to feed us three meals a day. And there's no restaurant at this hotel. So there was some kind of breakdown in communication. And so before I was thinking I was the worst pastor. I mean, I'm confirmed now. I mean, I brought 30 people over the ocean, wrong place. Now we get there. We got a bed to sleep on. I did something. We have beds to sleep in, no food to eat. But God was merciful again. The church, they, they said, we're going to feed y'all. So they literally, the host church brought us three meals a day. Now, it was, uh, it was an adventure because they said, we're coming at this certain time. And so we said, okay, well, we'll delay and have our team devotion later. And they came hours later. So it was like, okay. So it was the next one. I said, well, let's just have our morning devotion early, and then we'll be ready when they get there. So we get there. We have our morning devotion. And as soon as I start to pray, they knock on the door, and they've got breakfast ready. So it's kind of like it was, it was a journey, you know, which was fun. But at least we, we got to eat. The point I'm trying to make through all of this, and, and then on top of that, so we have all these experiences and there are lots of little things that happen too. I don't have time to unpack it all. While we're there, even my father passes. And so then we fly back. Well, the team stayed. My kids and I fly back. But that was quite a trip. That was quite a lot of challenges I went through. But I can say confidently that summer, uh, I preached my own dad's service, came back and preached here at the church, kind of updated the mission trip. That summer was the most intimate summer I had with Jesus. I mean, I knew him. I got close to Jesus. I was hearing him. I was seeing him. I was feeling him. He was everywhere for me. And so I wouldn't take that summer back for nothing. And the point I'm trying to make through that long story is we're talking about what does a merciful God look like not only does he make himself heard, he makes himself known to us. Through those challenges, through those difficulties, through those obstacles, Jesus made himself known to me. We were intimate with one another. We were communing with each other, and that's what he wants to pour out to us. I'm, I'm merciful even in your challenges because I'm causing you to know me. A merciful God makes himself known. A merciful God makes himself uh, heard. And, and one more thought I want to uh, add to this. It's in verse uh, 48 and 49. I want to uh, keep on reading here in the passage. Again, they said, many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And said, call him here. And throwing, uh, and they said, uh, take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And then from there, Jesus heals him. So I want to talk about what this looks like. Jesus called him, and then he ran to Jesus. Now, I'll tell one more story, one more family uh, dynamic that helps this point. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, we had said uh, that Tanya and I celebrated our, our 29th wedding anniversary, so 29 years. 
The applause is all the mercy God has shown Tanya in having an idea. But I can clearly recall the first seven years were so challenging financially. I mean, it was just we had committed Tanya was going to be at home, take care of our kids, so I was going to provide. And, and, and God provided for our family a whole lot, but just not very much through me. I mean, I, I did work. I was working the whole time. It just financially, it was tough. And so family members brought us furniture and friends brought us clothes and neighbors brought us microwaves. I mean, there was literally an instance once a lady that I worked with, and I don't know how she even knew this. There was, we was really tight. We didn't have food. And a lady from my job showed up at my house like 6.30 or 7 in the morning, knocked on my door and said, God told me to bring you $100 for groceries. And so that's encouraging, but it, I'm a little embarrassed. I didn't feel necessarily encouraged this season of time because I'm thinking God's providing uh, through everybody but me. I mean, I'm the breadwinner. I'm the head of this thing, and, and, and all the provisions coming somewhere else. Okay, that's probably prideful or whatever, but this is the deal. I was trying to perform as a husband and, and father. Now, it's not, yes, I'm supposed to be responsible, but I think in my heart was a performance. I'm trying to be the guy. I'm trying to provide everything. And God was trying to say, hey, I want you to lay that down. But it's so beautiful. Think about it. God didn't get me to lay my pride down by chastising me. He didn't get me to lay my pride down by disciplining me. He got me to lay my pride down by being merciful to me. He kept pouring out on me, and now I finally begin to see, okay, God is trying to say, I'm your provision. It's not about you. So God was merciful even in that situation. You see, Jesus called to Bartimaeus in the story, okay? And Jesus is calling to us. Sometimes Jesus calls us up. I mean, he affirms us. He says the good things he sees in us. We, we need that. He calls us up. And sometimes he calls us out. He will challenge us. He will say, you need to make an adjustment. He'll say, hey, you need to be humble here. You need to let me be the guy. He calls us up and he calls us out. But the motive for both is the same. Whether he calls you up, whether he calls you out, the purpose is so that he can provide care for you. 1 Peter 5.2 says, cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. He wants to care for you, so, so he will call you. So let's go back to our story. Jesus calls Bartimaeus. He says, call him here. He calls for him. And the story is so interesting. He says, Bartimaeus throws down his cloak. Now, you might miss There's some significant meaning in that, but you might could miss that. He, he threw down his coat. Now, remember... God got me to put down my pride, put down trying to be the performer, let him be the provider. In the first century, a person's cloak would be one of the most valuable possessions they would have. Certainly for Bartimaeus, a blind beggar on the street, his cloak was the most valuable thing he would own. He would have nothing of more valuable. And for him to throw it down on the street and run to Jesus is very significant. It would be just like us having a wad of cash and we throw it down on the street and leave it there. Somebody obviously would pick that up because of the value. That's the same thing he is doing here. See, what Bartimaeus is saying is, I'm going to get rid of what is most valuable to me so that I can run to Jesus. 
God was trying to get me to throw down my, what was valuable, my ability to do something, to perform, to be the guy. He said, put that down and come to me. And so today he's trying to show his mercy to us by saying, hey, put down what is most valuable to you, your ability, what you bring to the table, your ability to do things right, your capacity to work hard, your willingness to pray and to give and to serve, though all those things are good. He said, put that down and come to me because I want to be merciful to you. He's not thinking about what you bring. He's not thinking about what you can do. He's not thinking about your mistakes. He's looking for an opportunity to be merciful to show you his grace and his mercy in our lives. Today, there are people, you're here, and we talked earlier about how the enemy likes to bring charges. He likes to accuse. He likes to try us. He likes to sentence us. He likes to do that over and over and over. And the scripture says he does it day and night. And today is your opportunity. If you feel like somebody's finger is in your face today, if somebody's whispering behind your back today, if somebody uh, is looking at you funny today, if somebody has a case against you today, today is your day to reach out for the mercy of God. So I want to do that by us doing a simple little exercise. I want to ask you to stand with me. And let's just be like, bottom just cover your eyes, if you would. If you feel free, you don't have to do that. But if you want to, just cover your eyes. Don't see, but just hear. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Hear this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So today, if you hear, and you may say you've been blinded by sin or by weakness. Maybe you've been blinded by the situations, the circumstances, the conditions of your life. Maybe you've been here today and you've been walking by sight and not by faith. Maybe you're here today and, and you got your own form of penance. You're not calling it that, but you're trying to make the good outweigh the bad. You're trying to pay God back for what you've done. Maybe today you're trying to amass some kind of personal value. You're trying to be the guy. You're trying to be the lady. You're trying to be the provider. You're trying to be what somebody else needs. And because of all those things, the enemy is making a case against you. Your performance can never be good enough. If that's you today, let's just do the same thing Bartimaeus did. He cried out to Jesus and he kept crying out. 
And so I want us to do this. It's going to be on the screen. You can open your eyes now, take your hands down, but we're going to just do the same thing he did. Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so let's just cry. If that's you, you can say it. You can raise your hand. You can do whatever you want, but let's just say it and keep saying it. Let's do this together. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 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 Jesus, we call out to you today. We thank you that you are the God of mercy. Thank you that you're the God of miracles. Thank you, you are the God who provides, who heals, who restores, who renews, who revives. We put aside all our value and all our worth and we run to you today in Jesus' name. So now I wanna give us an opportunity to further respond. I wanna invite our altar ministry team, our prayer team, if you come to the front and be ready to pray with people. I want to give you a chance to further respond. And maybe you're here today and you've never responded to the mercy of Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never been saved, as we might say. And if that's you today, God wants to be merciful to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter uh, how long you've resisted the Lord. He's not looking at that. He's not focused on that. If you're here today, it's an opportunity for him to show you his mercy. If you'll come to this altar, one of these folks will be happy to pray with you and help you to find Jesus, the merciful one. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I've been trying to do penance. I've been trying to make up for my regrets, make up for my guilt, make up for my shame. But he didn't want you to feel guilt and shame. He wants you to walk out free from that today. And so if that's you, please come and let somebody pray with you. Maybe you've been blinded by a relational conflict. Maybe you've been blinded by financial tragedy. Maybe you've been blinded by health uh, difficulties. Jesus wants to be merciful today. He wants to open our eyes, open our hearts. And maybe you came to church for some other reason. Maybe there's some other need I haven't referred to today, but whatever it is, Jesus has enough mercy for whatever that is. So if you'll come to the altar, if you'll come here up at the level, up at the second level, Someone will be happy to pray with you. Now's the time. Please come.